0: will you join with me in prayer? Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. And Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. That was a prayer from St. Patrick. Uh, I come from, I graduated from Dublin, Texas, not Dublin, (laughs) Ireland. Dublin, Texas, and while there may not be uh, many Irish roots there, they do celebrate the Irish because of the name and uh, their, their festivals. So, um, Well, for the past two and a half months throughout this year, we've been reading through uh, scripture together. We started with Proverbs in January, and that was pretty simple. We had 31 chapters, 31 days. Uh, then we went to Matthew and, and Mark. We finished all those. If you've kept up, congratulations, you've read three books so far this year. I don't know how many your goal was, but you've, you're up to three already. Now this is where it gets tricky though, because it's March 17th and we're reading Luke chapter 1, so you can tell it's going to get a little bit tricky. It's going to take some extra work to keep up. But if you have one of these handy things, you just check it off which is the day you're on. So I hope you, if you don't have one of these, we can get you one from the office uh, later on. It's a bookmark as well. <clears throat> so this morning I want to briefly introduce uh, the Gospel of Luke to you, as well as look at uh, two interesting and similar birth narratives, uh, birth predictions, announcements to Zechariah and to Mary. So if you will, open up to Luke chapter 1. Many of the stories that we find in this Gospel we have, may have been a refresher from Matthew and Mark and because these three gospels are the most similar they have similar stories they have similar teachings uh, it may have a little bit different emphasis at different points different perspectives but for the most part these three gospels Matthew Mark and Luke are very similar and for that they're called the synoptic gospels after we finish Luke we'll go on to John and this is the one that's this is the gospel that's separate from these three and it's because it has a different uh, theological perspective It kind of goes a little bit deeper, and so uh, that's why John is not part of the three synoptic Gospels. But just like we all have unique perspectives, uh, the authors of these Gospels are unique as well. They're writing to different audiences. They have different interpretations, they have different styles, and they emphasize different things throughout the life of Jesus. But one thing is clear about all of these Gospels. And it's the message, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It tells about the birth of Jesus. It tells about his life as he witnessed to people and, and uh, did many miracles, healing people, raising the dead, healing the sick, teaching about the kingdom of God. He did all these things. He also went to the cross for us, sacrificed his life for us so that we could be set free. This is the message of the Gospel. This is the good news that all, th- all four of these Gospels share together. And it is good news because out of Jesus' death and His resurrection, we're able to be free from our sin and have eternal life with Him. Isn't that awesome? Somebody say Amen! That's who we serve, an awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for God's Word that has been passed down to us from generation to generation that we have We can have, any of us can have multiple copies of the Bible in our own language. That is incredible as well. And we have many people to thank for this. It reminds me of, uh, in particular, of a young British boy who his father was uh, a deacon and his grandfather was a priest. And uh, he didn't really care too much about the religion. He, you know, kind of was rebellious uh, with his friends, um, didn't care to go to church, but Um, at the age of 16, something radical happened, and he was captured as a slave by pirates. Um, That's crazy, being captured by pirates as a slave. This young man became a slave for six years, and he tended to his master's sheep and and herds and away from his family in a different foreign country where there was foreign gods, pagan gods, pagan worship, and all this, and he wasn't used to this. So, through his time of isolation and, and slavery, he became uh, very committed to his relationship with God, because that was where his roots were. He found God, he, he, he began to talk to God while he was out in the pastures, on his own, in silence. He, he didn't know the language of the people they, that spoke that captured him, so he spent a lot of time in personal reflection, deep thought, and connecting with God. And after six years of being a slave, he, he heard a voice. And this voice told him, there's a ship waiting for you. Now is your time. So this young man found a way to escape, got on a ship and sailed back home to his family. And it was many years later, after connecting with his family, about the age of 40, that this, this man heard another voice that said, you need to go back to those people who captured you as a slave. You need to go back to that land and tell them about Jesus. And so he did. He went back. I'm sure you can guess who we're talking about. We're talking about a man named St. Patrick. He went back to a land known as Ireland. And that is, he he never called himself a saint. In fact, he called himself a sinner. I'm a sinner just like anyone else. But St. Patrick had a heart for God. Not at first, it was through this this hard lesson of being a slave for many years that he finally went back and followed uh, Christ and did um, what God was calling him to do. And as a result of that, a generation later, we see Christian schools, churches being built in Ireland, this pagan nation, as a result of St. Patrick's influence. And because of that, the scripture was passed down. Because of that, many of the tradition, the the writings were passed down. Ancient history were recorded because of these Irish monks and Irish Christians who recorded these for us. And the thing was, is that at this time in, in history, the Roman Empire had just fell. And so all of civilization as they knew it was coming crashing down. It was known as the Dark Ages. And so the Irish really... Helped save civilization. And there's a book out by Thomas Cahill called How the Irish uh, Saved Civilization. And that's just an amazing story of one man's influence, how, how it spread, and now how we still have scripture today and are able to read it in our own language. I think that is incredible. And that is exactly what Luke is trying to do here. As we look at the introduction, the first four v- verses, He's writing to uh, this man named Theophilus, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But uh, let's go ahead and read uh, Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, as, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which you have been taught. So that you may know the exact truth about the things which you've been taught. So Luke begins his introduction in the first four verses of this gospel, and they serve as a preface for his gospel as well as the book of Acts. He's the author of both of these. And these two books uh, constitute 30%, about 30% of the whole New Testament. So Luke has written quite a, a great deal of the New Testament, and he, he writes in such a way that is a most refined Greek in really uh, rich literature and beauty. So the main point of his introduction is to, is to tell why... Uh, and persuade Theophilus why he's recorded these things, and the things that he's heard of are true. Theophilus, whose name means lover of God, Theophilus means lover of God, was apparently a man of social standing, but it also appears that Luke is writing to a much larger Gentile audience. Luke uses the introduction to point out that he is a credible source of the life of Jesus Christ. He has investigated everything thoroughly, patiently, and carefully, and he has many other resources to support his claims as well as direct access to eyewitnesses who would have been the apostles because we know that Luke was also a companion of Paul. He would have had many encounters with the apostles and their stories of Jesus. And it was Luke's desire to record everything they know about Jesus and in verse 4, he says, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which you've been taught. Luke did not want people to be misled or led astray by false teachings or, or doubting people who say, no, that guy wasn't real. It's just something your parents or your grandparents made up. He wanted to write this down so that people knew exact, the exact truth. He wanted people to know the good news of Jesus. And so after this introduction, Luke's gospel tells us the birth narratives of of John the Baptist and Jesus, and kind of parallels them together. And since these birth announcements to Zachariah and Mary are right next to each other, it's easy to compare them. And you can kind of uh, sense that Luke is trying to compare them, since he puts them right together. At this point, I'm going to assume that you've You've already read chapter 1, because it's a kind of a long chapter, or that you will read chapter 1. So I'm not going to read all of, the, all of this together for you, but I do want to mention a few observations. First of all, Zechariah and Mary were both people of godly character. It says in verse 6 that uh, Zechariah and his, and his wife Elizabeth were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So they, he, was a, he was blameless, but later on we see him uh, express unbelief in what the angel is presenting him. And we also find out later that Mary was just as avowed and favored by God. Also, both individuals were visited by the angel Gabriel, who announced the birth of, of these remarkable births, of Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were old in age, and Mary, who wasn't even married yet. So they both also respond to the angel's announcement with a question. They both, they both ask a question, and Zechariah says something like, How will I know this for sure? How will I know this? And Mary asks something like, How will this work? How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And we don't really see much less of faith in one than the other, do we? They're both asking a pretty similar question. But we see Zechariah was disciplined where Mary was, uh, it says that she was favored and that she believed and she was blessed because she believed. And I think Luke intends for us to contrast this response to Mary's faith because Zechariah's wife Elizabeth later on in verse 45 commends Mary in a way that sounds like criticism of her husband's unbelief. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So picture for a moment, Zachariah, after he has served his time as, as priest and, and went back home. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to enter into his house, unable to talk? Coming home to his wife, maybe give her a smile and a hug, and she's like, how was your day? How, how was the trip? And he just kind of you know, shrugs or, or smiles and is like, I don't know, and he can't talk. And so I imagine that he, he, he finally writes down on a tablet because later on uh, we see that he writes down on a tablet to, to talk to people. Um, imagine he writes down something like, can't talk, I'm dumb now, I didn't believe. <laughs> but what was his reason for not believing? My wife and I are too old. I'm sure he left that second part out. My wife is too old. But a normal birth in itself is a miracle enough, isn't it? The birth of human life is a miracle. We've seen that in our lives. It's amazing. But for an older couple to have been barren, not have kids throughout their lives, and then in their old age, God tells them they're going to have a child, that's pretty remarkable. But here comes Mary, who wasn't even married yet. And she is told and she believes that she is going to have the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. She's like, Elizabeth is saying, Zachariah, what's the deal here? Mary's coming and believing and you're saying we can't even make this work. What? (laughs) I just think that's crazy. But aren't we like that sometimes? We, We make excuses for doing things for God. I'm too old to do something that great for God. I'm too young. I don't know enough about Scripture. I'm not ready yet after I get through this stage in life. Once my kids are grown, have you been there before making excuses? But we need to be open to God to do the humanly impossible in our lives. We need to be open to God to do the humanly impossible in our lives. So while Zachariah's and Mary's responses may look very similar, it becomes very clear that God can see differences where we can't see one. God can see differences where we can't see any. Though two persons may act very much alike, though they may say the exact same thing, their heart and their spirit may be completely different where you and I would put them together and say, they're exactly the same. God sees a difference. For while we judge the sights and sounds, the Lord weighs the attitude of the heart. You must have noticed this kind of uh, similar uh, things happening in Scripture before. If you know the story of Abraham and Lot, Lot living in Sodom was told to flee from Sodom with his family. And don't look back. What happens to his wife when she looks back? She turns into a pillar of salt. We read later on, the very next morning, Abraham gets up to meet with the Lord, and he looks towards Sodom. They weren't supposed to look towards Sodom, but Abraham was looking towards Sodom. The very thing Lot must not do, Abraham can do. It's the same action, but if you look a little deeper you could clearly see that the looking back of Lot would have meant a lingering desire to return. But the look of Abraham was simply looking to the burning cities and admiring God's judgment and power. Excuse me. Another example is that of Abraham and Sarah. We know that when the Lord announced to them that they were going to have a child, they both laughed. Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and then we read a little further on that Sarah laughed within herself. And we never find that Abraham was condemned for, condemned for laughing, but it says it, Sarah, God asked, God asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah was called out for doing the very same thing that Abraham did. They both laughed. One was right and one was wrong. Why is that? Because there's a vital difference between them. Sarah's laugh was a laugh of unbelief. Like, ha yeah, right, okay, I'm sure this is going to happen. But Abraham's was a childlike faith of, of laughter, of falling on his, on his knees and saying, wow, this is going to be incredible. Sarah placed a limit on what th- she thought God could do. And throughout Scripture and in our lives, we come to the realization that God can do awesome wonders, often using what we would consider broken what we would consider useless or incapable, and that is exactly what God wants from us. People who are broken, who feel incapable, who are sinners in need of a Savior. Somebody desperate for a miracle so that God's glory can be shown through them. Somebody needs to hear this today. God can use you no matter what you're going through or what you feel like you are. Even though you feel broken or tired or worthless, you are so much more than that, and you can do so much more for God's kingdom. Trust him to do the humanly impossible in your life. Just like these examples in Zechariah and Mary, humanly impossible, but God makes a miracle happen. And we may see Zechariah and Mary's similar responses and say that if you condemn one, you must condemn the other. But God does not see the things that we, the way we see them because we are fully known by God and he looks at our hearts. He doesn't just look at the outward appearance or the outward expression. He looks at our hearts and we're fully known by him. But I want to take a minute to just compare Zechariah and Mary. Okay, Zechariah here, he's a priest. He's set apart by God. He's ordained by God. He's meant to be a leader in all things of, of, of religion. Supposed to have a personal relationship with God, be, be able to speak to God for the people. And who is Mary? She's a humble maid. Sure, she was of royal descent, but you would, she would not have known the scriptures quite as much as Zechariah would have. Or even be a leader like him. Zechariah was also old. He was wiser, more experienced with God. He must have had had great faith because it says he walked blamelessly and righteous in the sight of God. Mary, though, she was young, inexperienced, youthful, a virgin, still living in her father's house. Also, Zechariah, it says that he prayed for a child. This was an answer to prayer. And in verse 13 it says, uh, "Your prayer has been answered." He was praying for it, and when it came, he chose not to believe. For Mary, a child at this time was not even in the picture. She wasn't even married. She was a virgin. How could she raise a child on her own? And if the birth announcement to Zachariah had come as a surprise altogether, as it did to Mary, There would be some excuse for doubting some excuse for zacharias unbelief but when it's a direct reply to your prayer when it's an answer to prayer and you choose not to believe how come we don't expect the same from almighty god the creator of the universe and lover of our souls to work out good in our lives to answer our prayers when God answers our prayers and we don't believe, are we not questioning whether God is truthful, whether he is good, and whether he is loving or not? This was the case with Zechariah. He asked, How will I know that what you said will happen? God sometimes has a funny way of answering our prayers, doesn't he? And if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. The angel said to Zechariah, because you did not believe, you won't be able to talk until it happens. Unable to speak and unable to to hear. But while his mouth was closed to others, it was open to himself. It was a time of personal reflection, of silence and restoration. Just like St. Patrick in slavery served six years Spending this time talking to God, it served as a sign for him and for his heart to grow for the Irish people. So, does God's love and his truthfulness come as a shock to you? Are you surprised to know that he he hears our prayers and that he answers them? Of course, at times we may be in awe of what God can do. Wow, God, look at that sunset! Wow, God, a child is born, a miracle. But we shouldn't be surprised or shocked that God is able and willing to do these things. When you and I have had something weighing heavy on our hearts and have been before God with it again and again and just keep praying for it, as Zechariah had, we should be looking for God's merciful answer and loving reply. When you write a text or an email, or a letter to someone, to a friend, you expect to get a message back, right? Now, we know that doesn't always happen. Delivered, and you're just stuck on delivered. You don't, stuck on read, right? Someone reads your message and doesn't reply. But we do expect to res- for them to respond eventually, don't we? I like the way Charles Spurgeon describes this type of unbelief. He says, astonishment at answered prayer... Is amazement at divine truthfulness. Astonishment at answered prayer is amazement at divine truthfulness. It wasn't that Zechariah was wrong in asking, it was the fact that he questioned the truthfulness of the angel's proclamation. He asked, How will I know this for sure? How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? It's like being amazed every time a parent or a close friend tells you, uh, uh, keeps a secret for you. Or tells you the truth. Wow, you told the truth. Shouldn't your parent or close friend always be truthful? Shouldn't a close friend be the one who keeps your, your secrets? Shouldn't that be something they do all of the time? Sometimes that is just what we need, though, is silent reflection, personal evaluation, time alone with God, sometimes without saying anything. Remember that Zechariah was a godly man and a servant of God. How he must have longed to speak about what God was doing in in him and his wife's life. How he must have longed to sing about this, because we read later on that he does sing. Zechariah showed his unbelief by asking for a sign. He needed a sign to believe that what the angel said was true. But this was not the case with Mary. Mary asked for an explanation. How can this be? But she didn't ask for a sign. She didn't need a sign. She believed. Let it be done to me according to your word. So is it wrong? Is it wrong to ask God for a sign? Not necessarily, for I'll remind you that many others throughout history have asked God for signs. In Genesis, Abraham has asked for a sign from God whether this is the land that he was supposed to inherit or not. (coughs) Excuse me. In the book of Judges, Gideon asked for many signs from God to know whether this was God speaking to him or not. In Isaiah, Ahaz is commanded to ask for a sign from God. And the disciple Thomas, he claims that he will not believe unless he sees the nail prints in his hands and the sword in his side. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. The greatest blessing belongs to you, whether you have uh, received undeniable evidence or not. You are content to believe God, taking this word of God as evidence enough for your faith. Our God is faithful, and he is worthy of all our praise. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't even know if this thing's even on. Our God is faithful and worthy of all our praise, even if our eyes are not open to see an amazing vision, or hear the heavenly angels open up in chorus and tell us our future plans that God has for us. But we need to have faith in God. Trusting in him to do the humanly impossible in our lives, just like Mary did. As Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what about you? Are you seeking after God, after God's will in your life? Are you waiting on God to give you a sign? Maybe your eyes are not open to God's signs that he's giving each and every day. All of creation points to his existence and his love for us. The fact that we have the gospel, the the stories of Jesus, the, the whole Bible tells us of his love. The fact that you all are here today is a testimony to who God is. We are the body of Christ. We are called to share God's love with others. Be that example. Be that witness. Be that sign for someone who is asking God, I don't believe you exist. I don't believe in your love. Be that sign for God. And while at times you may also be like Zechariah, where you can't, you can't even talk about it because God is taking you through a journey right now. He's teaching you a lesson, a tough lesson at times where you want to share the love of God, but you just, for whatever reason, cannot right now. Believe that God can do the humanly impossible in your life. So what is holding you back? Trust him. We're going to have a song of invitation in just a moment. I will ask the musicians and Ashley to come up as well this time. But I encourage you to continue reading and, and looking at the author, Luke, of how he's placed things together in consecutive order to know the exact truth of what, of who Jesus is. And read through the uh, book of Acts, the story of how the, the church has begun, the beginnings of the Christ followers of, of, of Christians. So maybe you just need some encouragement today. Maybe, you're, maybe it's time for you to make a decision to follow Christ. Maybe you're just in need of prayer. Or you're, it's time for you to join this church or be baptized. I'll be standing down here at the front to talk with you. If you if you've come up to me later on in the week, that's fine too. But I want you to be right with God. I want you to, to know that God can do amazing wonders in your life. Don't ever rule out God's power. Don't ever out, rule out his love for you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who means all the world to us, because God, without him, we're broken people. We're helpless. We don't don't measure up, but God, it's because of your love and your grace that you give to us that allows us to, act, to, be act, to access you, God, to pray to you, to have a personal relationship with you. Because that's who you are. You desire a personal relationship with us. I pray, God, that we wouldn't continue asking you to, to reveal yourself, that, you, that we wouldn't continue asking God, show me a sign. But God, that we, you would open our eyes to see them. God, that you would open our mouth to speak about them and our ears to hear about them. And just like this prayer of St. Patrick, God, that, that you would be all around us. Christ in us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ all around us. Thank you, God, for all you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.